Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Samuel chapter 23. Glad to have our guest with us tonight. Amen as well. In the house of the Lord. So thankful for you being here. Amen. Some that have joined us this morning here yet again tonight. So grateful for that. First Samuel chapter 23. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 7. First Samuel 23. I'm going to be reading in verse, verse number 7 starting here tonight. You know, the the word of God is several things to us, and messages sometimes are, uh, by virtue of even of Scripture, are uh, instructional or reproof or rebuke or, you know, so on and so forth. And tonight, I would, if I were to classify this, I think I would classify it maybe along the lines of inspirational or uh, uh, a, a, a word of exaltation, perhaps, an inspiration. And so I'm just placing that in your mind to know how to help me, amen, in the next few moments. Amen. Of it being inspirational here this evening. Amen. First Samuel 23 and verse number 7. This is the story that we are looking at here this evening. The Bible says, And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. Saul called all the people together to war, to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Bithar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, Thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? The Lord said, They will deliver thee up. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. It was told Saul that, David was escaped from Keilah, and he forbear to go forth. And so the nutshell of the story is this. Saul, here's David, is in a particular place. David learns that Saul had learned that he was in a particular place. David goes to the Lord and said, Lord, is Saul just come? Is he going to come or is he just bluffing? God said, he's coming. He said, Lord, are the people of this place going to deliver me into his hand or not? Yeah, they're going to deliver you. The Bible says then that David left that place and went whithersoever that he and they could go. For a little while tonight, amen. 
hopefully it will be an inspiration to you. I want to minister to this congregation and body of people this tonight. Keep moving. Keep moving. I'm telling this as a church tonight. I'm telling this as a church tonight. I don't believe this is necessarily for a individual in, in uh, scope. But as a church tonight, I think heaven would have us to keep moving. Would you shake your hand? To keep moving. Hallelujah. Let's pray right now that the Lord would help us. Father, I need you this evening. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, God, as this has been, Lord, conveyed, Lord, to me, I pray, God, help me, Jesus, in some way to convey it to them. I pray, Lord, let it be, God, a message, Lord, I pray, of exaltation, Lord, of inspiration, Lord, for this congregation. I pray, oh, God, right now, I bind every spirit in the name of Jesus, God, that would hinder the work of the Lord in this place tonight. God, every fortress, Lord Jesus, that would wish to minimize, God, what is being spoken in this moment. I pray, God, break shackles and chains. God, set at liberty, God, those that are bound, Lord Jesus, here this evening. God, set us free in the Holy Ghost and by your Spirit. I pray, oh God, to be able to ebb and flow, Lord Jesus, with what you would want or desire in this house. God, and I will not fail to thank you and praise you, God, for what you accomplish in this place tonight. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen in the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. Has anybody here perhaps this evening ever heard of, and this is a part of our, our history of the world, but ever heard of the unusual account of how the news of the battle of Waterloo had reached the nation of England. As the story goes, the word was carried first by selling ships to the southern coast. And from there, it was relayed by signal flags to London. And when the report was received at Winchester, the flags on the cathedral began to spell it out. Wellington defeated. But before the message, before the message could be completed, there was a heavy fog that moved into the area and gloom filled the hearts of the people as that fragment of news was given unto them and spread throughout the surrounding countryside. But whenever the mist that came to that area began to lift. It became evident that the signals of Winchester Cathedral had really spelled out a triumphant message. Wellington defeated the enemy. I'm convinced here tonight that we have all been subject to some premature outcomes in life some misleading preconceived notions even within the church. And I think sometimes we've disengaged halfway through some battles that we thought with certainty we had already lost. Someone just say amen. 
We've allowed sometimes our surroundings to uh, determine, if not dictate, that what we should believe in or whether we should believe in or whether or not we should maintain any hope because it seems like what was taking place just wasn't lining up with victory at the moment. For some, the breaking point for their surrender of giving up is just the next problem that comes on the scene. You understand what I'm talking about? Saying we're going to hold our own, but whenever the next thing comes, it's like throw it all away because I just don't know if I can just do this anymore. For others, it's, you know, just the next day. And I'm talking to us as a body tonight. For others, it's the next day that your physical body just doesn't cooperate with a carefree lifestyle that you wish it would cooperate with. Anybody hearing me here this evening? For others, it's just the next negative word or the next negative circumstance that comes upon the scene and that's their dropping off point. That's where they disengage. That's where they just settle down into the ashes and say, well, what's going to be is going to be and I'm just going to have to learn to lump it and live with it. We've all said it perhaps at a time and if you've not heard it said, perhaps you've said it yourself and that is this. If such and such happens, if such and such takes place, then I'm just through. Right? If, if this happens, then that's it. If that takes place, then I'm over it. But I'm here to tell you tonight that the sweetest words our enemy has ever heard is when someone decides to give up. Is when someone decides to throw in the towel. When someone decides to hang the proverbial harp on the willow and say, well, that's all that can be done, shall be done, so I'm just going to disengage, disconnect, set down in it, and I'm just going to just take it and let it overwhelm me and overpower me and dictate the rest of my days to me. Those are the sweetest words the enemy could ever hear. Someone say, well, I'm over it. Someone say amen. Amen. I'm here to tell you tonight that I believe it's not so much that we've been misinformed, but we've been not fully informed. I'm here to tell you as a pastor tonight that it's dangerous and risky to make a decision, amen, or a move based on just partial knowledge. Someone say amen. I feel like this evening as a church as a whole, I've been praying this week, I feel like the church has had a dense fog move in on the church. A dense fog just move in just at the right moment and the right time. And the lingering word upon our minds and the lingering word upon our hearts is defeated, defeated. All we see is defeated because of the circumstances, defeated because of the health issues, defeated because of the lack of attendance, defeated because of the lack of participation. Our surroundings are dictating that. Our environment are dictating that. And we assume we are the ones that are defeated. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. And as a result of it, what's that caused? It's caused a feeling of hopelessness. It's caused a feeling of oppression. Maybe I'm just over here in left field, but I want to address the elephant in the room for me personally on Sunday nights. It seems like Sunday night I come in here and there's such an oppressiveness, such an oppressiveness, like it's trying to plow through a bunch of rocks, trying to just do anything and move forward in the kingdom of God sometimes on Sunday nights. I come on Sunday morning, feel his power. I enjoy Bible study on Wednesday nights, but Sunday nights sometimes are just a luring of a dense fog that comes in here. 
fear, an oppressive spirit. And what I believe it's trying to do, it's trying to cause defeat to come upon the mind. Defeat come into the home. Defeat come into the family. And the enemy would like nothing more for us to tuck our tail between our proverbial legs and sit down and just allow it happen. But I say the buck stops here right now tonight. You shall not go any further here too far. Someone say amen. Sometimes what I sense has happened is that our heads have hung low. Amen. And our shout has lowered just to a hum. And our praises have turned a little bit from what used to be pleasure and now it's a pressure amen just to get it out the new songs don't excite us and the old songs have lost their fervor prayer becomes a formality worship then is a little unnecessary preaching is a drudgery but I feel something in my spirit telling me not to accept the outcome not to accept it until the fog lifts and the smoke settles and I see that I've not been the one defeated but I am the victor I am Pastor, Bishop, there's something that tells me there is more that be with us than they that be with them. So it's amen. So I declare as the church tonight that we've been knocked down, but we've not been knocked out. We've been bowed over, but we've not been broken in two. We've lost some hope, but we are not hopeless. We've been distracted and discouraged and disappointed, but I refuse to accept the fact that we are defeated. Someone say yes. And so David, in our story, he and 600 strong men that compose up his army have just come to the aid of a city by the name of Keilah. He has come to protect them from the Philistines. It was the Philistines' common, common practice upon this city that at harvest time they would come. They would rob them of their harvest right on their threshing floors. They would take the fruit of their land over and over. David, not yet king, decided that was enough. He was going to their aid and for their protection. And they were very successful in warding off the enemy, the Philistines from those threshing floors. But although that seemed to be a victory over an adversary, there was another adversary that soon followed that they were somewhat uncertain about. And that was King Saul. See, at this point in time of Israel's history, David and King Saul, the relationship was somewhat estranged. Saul is jealous toward David. And as a result, Saul is bent on seeking and killing David. And the Bible says that Saul heard what David had done in that city of Keilah. He heard that David was there and he thinks in his mind this would be a great opportunity for him to do away with David. To do away with this threat to the throne room. And here is the strategy of King Saul. Listen to me well tonight. 
Here's the strategy. He's thinking in his mind. Since David and his men are in the city, a city that is well fortified, a city with walls, a city with gates, a city with bars. Saul thinks to himself, since David is in that city and his men are in that city, he's nothing more but a sitting duck for an attack. They're shut in by the walls, by the gates, by the bars. We will go down there. And as oftentimes the strategy of warfare was when one was in the city, we will besiege the city. And what that meant was they would surround that walled city. They would surround those entrances and those exits. They would many times starve them out. They would many times keep it to be impossible for any water to get in there or any food to get in there. They controlled who went in and they controlled what came out. Amen. They would starve them out of the city, prevent them from being able to quench their thirst. And eventually they would have to surrender. Someone say amen. But the Bible says that David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. If I can say it like this, David did not accept the partial message. David did not accept the partial message of David defeated. He didn't allow, if you will, the fog of this predicament to cloak the truth or the possibility of what could be. <laughs> the Bible says that David talked to the Lord by means of his priest Abiathar. He talked to God by that priest and he asked God, God, he, he made some statements, God, I know that Saul is coming to destroy the whole city and his purpose for destroying the whole city is that in by doing so he might destroy me. He's going to destroy the city to get after one man. He's going to destroy the... He says he's coming after all just for the sake of getting one. I am convinced tonight through the Holy Ghost, just, just in that moment, I am convinced by the Holy Ghost tonight that there's been crosshairs set upon the church just because of some of you in the church. He says, I'll get the ones I want by taking care of them all. He says, I know that he's wanting to come to destroy the whole city just for the purpose of killing me. He said, but I need some answers from you, God. He says, what I need to know is this. Is it just talk or is it true? Is Saul really going to come? Is he really going to visit? And God's response to him is this. David, he is going to come down to you. Well, if that's the case, God, I got another question. Are the people of the city that I just helped in a moment of deliverance, are they going to turn me over into his hands and God says David I can't beat around the bush yes they will deliver you up now if you and I are set in the city we're like what more do you need to know the enemy is indeed coming and you know the people you're with right now is going to deliver you up to him prepare the newspaper headlines for the next day David's defeated now we're having a, a pre-press release. They're already running it because we already know the outcome. David is defeated. Someone say yes. <laughs> but not quite because what David did next had been his mode of survival 
all throughout the time that King Saul chased him, ganged up on him, and fought to keep his life from remaining upon the earth. What David did next was his means of survival all along. And what David did was this. David kept moving. Oh yeah. Prior to this moment of time, Brother Malone, the scripture says whenever David first started on this journey and Saul as an enemy was hot on his trail, the Bible says that David fled to a city called Nob and he asked for food there and he asked for weapons there from the priest. And then he left that place and he fled to Gath. He went to the hometown of the giant Goliath that he had slain in his life. And whenever he stopped there, he left and went to the cave of Adullam and while he was there because of his personality and who he was he drew every individual that was discontent, he drew every individual that was in debt, he drew every individual that was in distress and the Bible said he took that group of derelicts and he made them into a mighty army but he didn't stay there, he left there and the Bible says he went to Key Isla and he warded off the adversary for these people's benefit, so what David has done up to this point of time was just keep on moving. He was at Nob, the cave of Adullam. He was at Gath. He's now at Keilah. The success of his life, amen, and going on was keeping on going. <laughs> so what are you saying? I'm saying when David gets this news, don't think for a moment that David is going to wait for Saul and all those that are with him to approach the front gate of this city. And David's going to walk out with his hands up and say, y'all got me. Don't think for a moment he's going to meet that army as they come to him and say, let me tell you something. There's no use. I understand it's the end of the road for me. Amen. Defeat is imminent. It's close. It's certain. And so we might as well just turn in our weapons, turn in our badges, so to speak, and just give ourselves over because we're defeated. No. Quite on the contrary, what David does, he takes those 600 men, those 600 strong men that compose his army, and the Bible says he arose, he arises, and he departs from that city. Note how the Bible says it. They went whithersoever they could. There's enough intimidating things in the church, in your life and my life, that we were to read the parcel message. It says you're defeated. And I believe that some has taken it as truth. And they have been nothing more but sitting down within the dust of their circumstances. Because they believe nothing's going to change it. Nothing's going to twist it. Nothing's going to make the outcome any different than what they have seen the personal truth speak to them. But I'm here to tell you today that the devil is a liar. Amen. And that we need not accept the partial truth. But somebody needs to understand that their success and their welfare is hinged upon just keep on moving. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not the time to fold hands, quiet voice, disengage from spiritual things. If anything, you need to keep on praying, keep on worshiping, keep on dancing, keep on shouting, keep on engaging. Your victory, your success is in keeping on moving. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Someone say glory. They went whithersoever they could. Listen to me. Saul is so confident in verse 7. He says, God's delivered them into my hand. Saul thought the victory was already his. Listen to me. Because he saw and knew that David and his men were in a city that was walled with gates and bars. He knew that they were, this is the words that are used in scripture, that they were shut in. Let me say it like this. He knew that they were boxed in. He knew that they were encompassed round about. He's feeling pretty good about some of y'all in your circumstances because the same thing he believes about David and his men, he believes about you. They're boxed in. They're shut in. And he's very confident concerning what he's going to do concerning you because he sees and hears that you're trapped. You're boxed in. And here's the fact of the matter. The enemy of your soul wants you to see yourself that way. Look at these walls. Look at these gates and bars. This is here we're at and this is where we're going to be. somebody tonight. You, the enemy of your soul wants to make you think that this is the way it's going to be. Honey, you're reading a partial message. You're reading a partial message. He's trying to convince you this is the way it's going to be. Don't you accept that. Don't you accept that. You don't have to be shut in. You don't have to be boxed in. You don't have to be trapped. He wants, he wants you to start believing there's no other options. There's no other opinions. There's no way out in this situation. There's no way through this. It's going to be defeat, defeat, defeat. I might as well get you used to it. This is the way. Saul thought he had them because he knew where to find them. He thought he had them because he knew where to find them. You know what they say? This is real life right here. You know what they say? You probably already know this. But they say that kidnappers, murderers, stalkers, call them whatever you may, that they learn the tendencies of our patterns of our lives before they ever strike. What are they trying to figure out? Our predictabilities. What time we go to work. What route we take to work. If we eat at a certain restaurant on a certain day of the week, at what time? Because if we carry the same patterns... And the same oh same oh, then they can look for the vulnerability of when is the best time to attack, because they know where you're going to be. They know where you're going to be and where you're going to be at a certain time of the day. <laughs> and so the, the 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 recommendation then, of course, is this: don't always leave the house at the same time. Don't always take the same route to the grocery store to the place you're going to eat or the place where you go to work. You need to change up your norm every once in a while. Why? So that you're not as predictable. Yeah. 
Honey, some of us in the church life are just a little too predictable. The enemy knows if they get this, they're going to respond like that. And that's they're going to be through the moly grubs for two and a half weeks before they ever get back out there. We're too predictable. We have the same pattern, the same path, and we respond the same way. Somebody just needs to become unpredictable in this place. And the next time whatever comes down the pike, you need to respond differently than you responded every other way because you're not going to somehow reveal the vulnerabilities of your life. What are you saying? I'm saying your enemy are studying your habits. Your enemy is studying your Christian habits. He knows what to put in your life to cause you to miss a day of prayer. He knows what to put in your life to cause you to disengage from reading the word. He knows what to put in your life to make you miss church. And he knows... Saul said, I know, I know I'm going to be victorious because I know where David's at. Honey, I wonder if we could respond in such a way in our circumstances of life that it even behooves the adversary not realizing what we're responding, how we're responding, and where we're going with what he served. It's like, what are they doing? They're crying out to God no more. Hey, they usually don't do that. What? The church isn't sucking their thumb over things not going their way and they're having revival anyhow. Hey, that's not the way they usually respond. The secret to it then is you got to keep moving. The Message Bible says it like this, that they kept moving, going here and there, wherever, always on the move. The old timers used to say it like this. We're a church that's on the move. A church that is on the move. According to the art of war, it says emphatically, it says keeping continually on the move results in the enemy never knowing exactly where you are, thus not knowing where to attack. Bishop used to do this a, whole, a long time ago. And I think you need to do it in the spiritual realm, but it doesn't hurt every once in a while in the physical realm. Sometimes he used to say, everybody sit on this side, go on that side, everybody on that side, go on that. You know what he's trying to do? Keep you moving. Man, get familiar with those around me and my surroundings and so on and so forth. Here I am, God. It would do wonders for some of us to be a little uncomfortable about where we're sitting and who we're sitting around. Because, son, he'll pinpoint you right in service. I know where Pat Dykes is. He's on the front row on the left coming in. I got his number. We're so good about it. If I borrowed something from you, I could set it in your seat before you ever got here and he'd get to you. Oftentimes in this church, when I'm by myself praying, I remember everybody to church and pray for everybody by remembering where they sit. Honey, know with certainty if I've taken note of that, so has your adversary. He knows where you're at if he needs to get to you. We, we got to keep moving. Listen to me tonight. There is safety and protection for David in him moving. Safety and protection for him by virtue of moving. Everybody doing all right? 
I won't hold you long, but I'd go get a point across. There was a girl, a girl whose name Kate, Katie, something to that effect. She wanted to try paddle boarding, paddle boarding for the first time. So the speech was given to her by more experienced paddle boarders, if that's such, such terminology, paddle boarders. And the instruction that they gave to her was quite simple. They said, Kate, you got to start on your knees. There's no shame in falling off, but you got to start on your knees. Don't go out too far. And avoid the jet skis that are passing back and forth and other boats, of course, in the water. Well, the next thing that you know, there's Kate. She's really far out into the water. And the experienced paddle boarders went out to where she was. They asked her, Kate, do you need any help? Her response to them was this. Guys, I can't stand up, she said. Then she said, but then I can't get stable. She says, and I can't start paddling till I get stable. They told her, said, hey, we, we get it. We got it, Kate. I said, but here's the thing, Kate. It's the paddling that makes you stable and not the other way around. You'll never stay up unless you start paddling. What are you saying? I'm saying, had David stayed in Keilah, Saul, according to the word of the Lord, would have come. The men of the city would have delivered him into their hands. But Saul ended up not coming. And the people did not deliver David up because David wasn't there. David had moved. And so in that case, there was protection in keeping on moving. Can I tell every child of God that's sitting in the sound of my voice tonight, there are times that it is the moving that keeps you from being defeated. It is the moving, amen, that keeps you, amen, that keeps the adversary from coming because he don't know where to find you. It's the moving, someone hear me, it's the moving that keeps you from being delivered up. Someone say amen. Had David stayed in Keilah, he would have been at the mercy of, of the situation but instead he says I'm going to keep moving and in doing so he was put in charge he was put in charge of the situation someone say amen do you know where David went the Bible says that he and his men you can read it further in 1 Samuel 23 that he and his men went to a stronghold in the wilderness he traded a city for a stronghold in the wilderness. Now, folks, that doesn't on the surface seem like a great alternative to a fortified city. As a matter of fact, that might seem a little bit imperfect compared to a fortified city where they had been. But listen to me. One spelled defeat, and the other one spelled life. Listen to, listen to me real close here tonight. There are times, listen to me well, there are times moving imperfectly in a direction is better than not moving at all and succumbing to a definite outcome if you don't do anything. Paddle 
paddle boards or at the mercy of the waves of the sea when they're not moving. You can take one. I've been out there in the ocean before. We did a little wakeboarding, me and my wife. Start at one place, son, and you can be two miles down from where you started. But you can take that board and you set it out there on the water, and it's going to go somewhere by virtue of not doing anything. But in doing so, it's being carried by the mercy of whatever its environment is. The waves come in and go out. The wind blows in whatever direction. The paddle board is at the mercy of its circumstances. If it's at a stand still, someone say amen. They'll be carried out to regions of the water and areas, amen, that may be dangerous, especially like for Kate, for beginners, amen. But it's the knowledge of this that was given to her. It's the moving of the paddleboard, amen, that keeps it even afloat and keep it on top of the water. It's whenever somebody is moving on it. And whenever the paddleboard is moving, it's then you can steer it. You don't steer it necessarily set and still. But when you get some forward motion going, you can steer it, you can turn it, you can head into a way or run away from a wave as long as it's moving. Someone's crying out today. Oh, this is just so horrible. And this is, and I understand. I've been there, folks. I've been there. I've cursed my dilemma and I've cursed my circumstances and I've cursed the environment and everything that I went through. But whenever I can, whenever I took an inventory of everything, I was just sitting on the paddleboard and I was being at the mercy of my circumstance. I had to come to terms. I got to get this thing moving. I, I got to get this thing moving. If I can get it moving, I can turn it away or turn it toward. I can go in a different direction. But I got to get this thing moving. Someone say amen. So I come to breathe the wind of encouragement to the sails of this church and people tonight. Even Isaiah, Isaiah spoke. He said, strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Here's the fact of the matter. Just being honest. Whatever it may be in your life or in the life of the church, it probably looks worse than what it really is. They say, they say, that a dense fog that goes the length in the area of seven city blocks and a hundred feet deep, if all of its droplets were condensed down, it could fit in a glass of water. Seven city blocks, hundred feet deep, all those droplets that are so minute. It's that division and minuteness of the water that gives it the appearance that it's more than what it really is. Brother Alex, this thing was filled, and this is bigger than just a glass of water. We could cover seven city blocks 100 feet deep with a dense fog that you wouldn't be able to see your hand in front of your face. It looks a whole lot worse than what... We're looking through the fog, and we see, as we see in the first story, Wellington defeated, but the rest of the story defeated the enemy. 
You're looking through some fog tonight, and it looks worse than what it really is. You're thinking you're the one defeated when in reality it's your enemy that's the one. Someone say, glory, it's your. Someone say, I'm not defeated. Stand with me tonight and say it. I'm not defeated. Someone say, the church isn't defeated. Someone say, this church isn't defeated. Then what's going on, Brother McGee? There's just a fog that's rode in. There's just a fog that's rode in. And we're only seeing part of the story. We only got a partial message on our hand. But I'm telling you, sir or ma'am, don't believe what you're seeing right now. You believe it once the fog clears. You believe what's being spoken once the fog clears. And by all means, don't just stand there as though you don't have no impact on the outcome. Somebody needs to keep moving. Somebody needs to keep moving. Keep praying. Keep praying. Someone say yes. My Bible is still true. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's still true. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's still true. People's, people's believe in a parcel message. Pastor McGee, there's no use to show up early at church because nobody else is going to show up. Come on now. Nobody else is going to show up. Brother McGee, there's no sense in going to the prayer room before church because nobody else is going to go and it's not going to change anything anyhow. You have been duped. You have been duped. You have been deceived. You have been lied to. And the devil knows your address. He knows where you're at. You do two things with what's been served you. You can either speak life into that thing or you can speak death. I'm telling you from a boy that knows experience. You can either speak life or death into that thing. See, by nature, I'm a negative person. Probably never thought that, would you? By nature, I'm a negative person. If it starts, and I got it from my mother. That does not excuse it because it's part of genetics and DNA. But if things start going bad, Honey, I'll help push it that direction. I'm just telling you the truth. If it's bad, it'll be really bad when I'm done with it. What are you saying? It's like, well, you know, we call it at our household this. We call it catastrophizing. Call it catastrophizing. It could be as simple as this. You know, it could be as simple. I got a bug bite right here on my hand. Now, I'm not to this extreme, okay? It could be like showing that bug bite, not realizing that probably it is a bug bite. Say, oh, I had a sore come up on my hand. I probably need to go get that thing lanced. That could be cancerous. Now, some of y'all think that's crazy. But you've been going through some pretty severe things that you've seen nothing but negative toward it. And you have spoken with your lips toward that direction of death and not life. You know what you need to do? Although every odd and everything around you spells what you can see at this time, defeat, you need to say, you know what? I think everything's going to be all right. Yeah. 
I think we're going to get up out of this. I don't think it's always going to be this way. I just think this is just a moment of time and we're going to look back over our life in the past and say, see, that really wasn't anything to begin with. Somebody needs to start speaking life into their circumstance. Speak life into your dilemma. Don't you allow the devil to cause you to get a negative attitude about everything that's going on. Yeah, it might be bad, but God's still good. you got to keep moving. You gotta keep. You gotta keep moving. Oh, let's raise our hands and our voices right now unto the Lord. Somebody needs to keep moving in this place tonight. Come on, somebody make a move for God here. Will I? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.